0: Hi, it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to see if I can do the partial. now. I just finished teaching in college. While I'm catching my breath, let's go and see what we can do with this very complicated partial. Today's uh, podcast, Happy Say, is being sponsored by Jordan Ledvino. And it's being addressed, the sponsorship, in the following terms. In somebody's honor for a bar mitzvah, that's very nice. This is being sponsored by Jordan to my dear friend Shimon Katner, in honor of Nissanos Bar Mitzvah, Mazel tov. thank you for introducing me to this podcast. May each of your children become a bar in their own way, what a nice, nice sentence to put. And they should merit to have Torah gedul and may all be you your chidush be mechabim to the old school, <laughs> team I like cats. So thank you, Jordan. And one of these days we'll get around to the shlo, he's always pushing me to do the shlo, uh, which is a complicated business. Anyway, let's take a look at another complicated business, which is this week's Parsha. Uh, what is it? Uh, Mishpatim, right? Now, the reason it's complicated this it has to do with Purim. Purim's around the corner. Last week was the Ten Commandments, which means last week was Koflom Gigis. So, the forced nature of the Ma'am Ha-Sinai. If the Jews had been in a different mood, then he wouldn't have had to force the mountain on them. Now, we could debate that. You know, ways tosis and others They had to do it even though the Jews said "Not But the push-up shot is That when they heard all these rules and regulations They said, oh my god You know, it's only natural Personally, guess, would you like to take on Tyreek Mitzvahs And, uh, oh, you get a big sky But now, every time you do something wrong You get it punished Take a little bit of Lush and horror. Who can avoid that? You do this, you do that And these people just got out of Egypt And were still kind of idol worshipers to a certain degree I mean, you're going from uh, one extreme to the other. Mamte Shari toma Tumat Torah. Naturally, people were not in a great mood. Bochal uh, bechosa. Well, you know, they didn't like the Raya's laws. There are many, many Chazals that describe how the people were not in a great mood when they hold all these rules and regulations. Uh, there's another famous teaching in the Medrash that is called from Hakigigus, which was for My Rosh Hashim, Rabbi Ruderman, always likes, used to like to quote that. The Tershevik is doable. The Tershevik Saab is not doable. My goodness, who can keep all that stuff? <laughs> right? And uh, now he did it quite a little bit of a way. And if a Purim, which is, you know, uh, Kim of a Kiblu, the Tur- not the Tershevik which is a Gemara, and that's why everybody should learn Gemara. That was his constant theme. Uh, naturally. But the point is, the Martin Torah is not a Pasha thing at all. And the reason I say it is because yeah, it's wonderful in the text by the way you have all this glorious stuff in uh Yisro, the giving the ten Commandments or I, I keep repeating myself to pronounce it in Ten Commandments and then uh the lightning and the thunder and all this other business these are extraordinary experiences from the physical point of view and then and here come the rules of mish and all that which is always a down. Now the usual way a rabbi gets around it is saying, see, the Torah deals with real life. You know, see? The the God is in the details, blah, 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 that famous uh, sermon. But really, I think, uh, at least at this year I think, what you seeing is the consequences of a couple of Markigigas. He just said, Lo tirzuch, low tinov, low sachmod, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's easy to say, but the fact of the matter is people are gonna be tiretsuch, they're gonna be taken up, they're gonna be uh, you know, all the others, and Tachmo, and uh, that's the human nature, and it's not like, despite the, you know, the Chazals that say that everybody was on a super, I'm a Draco, when they say, now it's like, obviously it didn't last too long, so uh, you better get used to a society in which things uh, deal with human foibles, so on the one hand, you have and next line you're talking about every every is a guy who stole something and can't pay. Uh what do you have to steal anything for? It's gonna happen, baby. They're gonna be thieves, they're gonna be people that borrow. Why do you have to borrow? Everybody's rich. Do you all have to eat it with money? No, the human life is of such a nature that some people are more clever than the others. I think I did this last year. And if we all start out getting reparations reparation from the government, everyone gets a check for half a million within a year a few people have all the millions and the rest of the people have spent it on some Narschka god another. I say get this. It is the human nature. And therefore, right away, all the rules on Mishpatim are dealing with violations of the Ten Commandments, especially those you know, and things like that. It should be after you see nasim Nishma, one guy's not going to beat up another guy. Maki Mos yomos, right? You're going to think, Kabir uh, well, that's settled. No, Mekal Lavi you see what I'm saying? Right off the bat, it's going to be there. And Machshef of What kind of Machshef there? Well, they saw as a colossal a a lapidim, all the rest of it. Somebody could take advantage of that and say, I did it, there was a magic. Or so whatever. You no, know, the whole Parsha Mishpatim is due to the fact that people were reluctant to be Makabal of the Ten Commandments. Everything goes along with it. Especially due to the Terchival pep part. And therefore, Parsha Mishpatim has to compensate. It's going to happen that people get into a fight and kiavari be and somebody's going to burn somebody else's place down. You see, uh, it's going to find it's going to happen that people are not going to be um, zohir in the shmirah. You know, so you have the shemrechinim shemrezer stuff that we have over mishpatim, the Babakama business, and so the result is that it's an a, a, an eloquent testimony to the sad fact that people are not walking away from Har Sinai in a ooh, uh, 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 mood, and now we're all going to be good and righteous forever. That's the way one would have expected if it was a fairy tale, but of course, so Torah deals with reality. and reality, there wasn't it at all. What we're dealing with here, in the end, is the problem of perception. You can get Ten Commandments, how does the person perceive it? You get it? How does the person perceive it? Uh, we have an amazing... Uh, example: of This in parts of Mishpatim, although it's extremely hard, right? It's extremely hard, and uh, maybe the hardest, and the Chumash possibly. And that, of course, is at the end of Mishpatim, where the story resumes. Having talked about the Ten Commandments, what's the follow-up? I repeat, the Ten Commandments was pronounced on she was, but the follow-up is that Moshe has to go up to the cloud for forty days and four nights to get the actual tablets. To get the tablets. Here we run into what everybody knows to be very enigmatic uh, kind of a uh, story. that's not even possible to translate exactly, but let's take a whack at it. Uh, after going through all the rules and regulations of uh, Mishpatim, right? it says, <laughs> I'll read in English. God said, I want you and Moshe Aaron everybody to go, Aaron and not of an avi, and the elders to go up. Now, that's a wonderful expression. El Moshe Omar, Alei El Hashem. Alay, go up to the Well, I mean, God's not at the top of a ladder, right? When you go to the top of the mountain, God's not there. God, meaning, not physical, of course. Not subject to time and space. In fact, He even created metaphysics. So, Aleh El Hashem. You so, rise in up Something's going to happen. This will be like mental or soul wise. And, and look how it's. Uh, wonderfully parsed in the nuance. Ato, that's one madrego of Alei The Ve'aharom, not of an that's another Madrego. You get it? Uh, they're going to be lesser than you. Still amazing lesson. Vishim ziknisro, they're be lesser. And as you go there, you, you bow from a distance. What do you mean bow from a distance? You can either learn, the, I mean, it's just interesting. You can learn, while well, you're talking about going up a mountain, and as you approach the mountain, you bow from the distance. But that's not really what's happening, meaning that's not the point. I know they go up a mountain, I get that. But Alea Hashem is a mental thing happening, a, a soul thing happening. And so it says, You guys are going to go up there and bow from a distance as you engage in your journey. It reminds me a little bit, it reminds you about the four guys in the partis, right? Rabbi Akiva and Ben Zim and all that. And, you know, If you're going on one of these dangerous journeys, which is mental. It's real. It's not a fantasy. It's really happening, but it's not physical. Um, there, you have to be mishtachale. You have to come with a certain attitude. Me rachok. You're going aliyah in your mind, but you have to be with a certain discipline. And when you're rachok from your goal, you're mishtachale. I think that's interesting. And then it says v'nigash Moshe el Hashem. Only Moshe will actually approach Hashem. Again, what is God physical? So now it's in Madrigas. Moshe is going to go El Hashem. Uh, doesn't say he'll reach him. Because as we know later on, God said, Lo But Nikash Moshe El Hashem. I'm just trying to tell you to read and parse these sentences. These sukkim is, is amazing. If you have uh, a philosophical faculty, uh, this is what you should spend your time on this Shabbos. Veheim lo Yigashu. The others will not get close They go to whatever Madriga they get to But they're not going to be As for the Hamonam Forget them They don't even do the Aliyah part They don't even engage in this So you see an elitism right? It's a highly elitist Kind of notion Which is uh, uh, inherent in every mystical system Which is there's a few that can do this And the Hamonam cannot Not meant for everybody Then goes the whole part that Moshe goes down and you do the ceremony of the bris. You know, he tells the people, he writes this stuff down, he does these karbonas, he makes a a sefer bris and all that with the blood. Uh, Okay, fine. Uh, Remember now, they didn't make a bris yet at Unshavuos. The people stood and heard the pronouncements. Right? And I know they said Nasim and Ishma, but they didn't Sign it in a contractual form, which goes, it's a little bit like Kafam Gigas, you know? They didn't say, we'll, we'll do a brisk. And God said, well, you better understand it's as, as binding. But anyway, now the, the story then resumes in verse 9. So again, it's a wonderful, uh, you have to read this stuff closely to appreciate the complexity. No, no, no. No. You see what I'm saying? Why is it singular? Vayal Moshev Aram, Nodav Vashim Zik Nisro. So, I mean, the plain way of reading this mystical passage, to me, goes like this. Each one of these people had a different Aliyah, according to Madrega. Vayal Moshe, Vayal Aram, Vayal Nodav Avil, Vayal Shem Again, the Pasuk is, Vayal Moshev Yaron, Nodav Avil, Vashim Zik Nisro. Don't tell me they all went in the same Aliyah because we were told before, Moshe is going to get to one point, the other is not going to get to their point. You see? Now, if I was Hasidic, you could say, with the Rebbe, I'm serious, I don't mean to be funny. with the Zechus of Moshe, the others can have Aliyah also. Very Hasidic, like a no mel type idea. But leave that aside. Right? This is not Hasidic. So what does it mean, it's all, hey, Don't say Vayar. But it's a all that's singular. But then when they see, it's on a different level. By Yerazel, hey Now, we don't know what that means. They saw the God of Israel? Is that a Hashem? Obviously, if it's, they can see it. it's not a shem. So what does it mean to be hell Yisrael? V'zachas raglov. You see what I'm saying? It's a wonderful text to plunge into. The trouble is, you won't have enough time to whole Shabbos to do it. But this is where you should go. V'zachas raglov. They saw Elohei Yisro, right? Uh, and now I repeat, l- let me give you a preview of the comic attractions. I say Elohei Yisro, Elohei Yisrael. If this is the same thing as Hashem, then it's it's a little weird. If you say it's something that God created, like the medieval philosophers, like the Rambam, is that called Elohei or Elohei? It's not God. But anyway, by Yurus Elohei Yisrael, a sapphire and under his feet was like something say something that was like living as a who knows what that means you know the two general approaches is one is a sapphire brick, the other one is a pavement of sapphire of white sapphire who and like uh the essence of the clear blue sky, whatever that means. Now, I gotta watch out again. I fell for it. What is the meaning of shamayim, Especially in the passage like this Shemaim is not the sky. He didn't create the sky and the ground. He created the metaphysical, the heavens. The heavens, what's the shot heavens? Is it a place? Heaven is not a place. Right? Now, I'm gonna exclude the Ramban from everything I'm saying because he kind of argues in a strange way, at least as I understood it. That there's a place called heaven and a place called hell in the uh essay on the uh, what's it called? Shara I don't understand the Rambam. I understand the Rambam, <laughs> right? There's no place called heaven, no place called hell. Now, it's not fancy, it exists. It's a Matthias, but it's a metaphysical Matthias. So, what does he say over here? They saw something, it's amazing. I don't even know how to translate it's wonderfully ambiguous. They saw the Shemaim, the metaphysical. Not a place. The metaphysical, it wasn't the it was like that. The essence of the metaphysical, Latoar in a pure way. Now, this is going to be, as you see, the Rambam's. He doesn't use my words, but in my opinion, that's where the Rambam is coming for his interpretation, that they're going to see what you and I would call existence. Right? And God didn't strike them. Uh, and they saw Ho Elohim and then they ate and drank. As is very famous, I think I must have mentioned before. The Hasidim will translate will say, This shows you how important it is to Rishon. I'm I'm being serious. Yep. In other words, they saw Hashem and then they uh concretized that in a Gashemistic way by eating Loshem so let's say you're a real tzaddik, I mean, the real McCoy. So, every, like, the, like the Mitzil Sharm says in that chapter on Kedusha, everything you eat becomes a Mitzvah. You understand? Uh, the food becomes sacred. I'm talking about the Silsi Sishon now. Because you ate it as part of the Mitzvah. So you can say, see? See? See, eating in an exalted fashion is a kingdom of the Kedusha, of the Mitzil Sharm. And I remember my favorite heretic, Lee Jenkins, has an article eating uh, as a mode of worship, something like that. Uh, where he collects all the mefarshim, chassid mefarshim, that talk how important is. Or you can do like Rashi and give so to speak, a litviship shot, which is this was a sin. And then you pulled out a cracker. <laughs> and Hashem got angry at them, Rashi says, and wanted to punish them, but he saved it to another occasion where he punished them. Shine. But that kind of takes you away from the essential uh, mysticism of the whole experience. Right? Notice, I don't care so much about Vayochal as I am by as So it says, Vayyaros Elohei Yisrael, Vayachesu as One they use the Lashon Roe, the other one they use the Lashon Choseh. In one case, Elohei Yisrael, the other one is Ho Elochim. Right? And then Moshe says, next line, Vayyam Moshe. Come up to the mountain, Now again, God is not in the mountain, so He's using this mixing of the metaphors. and I'll give you the whole Torah You know this famous teaching in the Gemara. How does it go? This is the the what do you call it? The neviim and the ksuvin, and the horasam is the Gemara. basically, tomo terakula. Which means, according, this is the basis of the statements you will find in the Gemara elsewhere, that Purim was said at Sinai. Right? One of the ways of getting around the problem, how could they add um, to the Torah, you know, Queen Esther wanted them to add to Megillah. No, it goes back to Har Where does it go to Sinai? Over here. What does that mean? Moshe is given the full Torah, and the full Torah can mean, depends how you read it, but it can mean all the cases and things that have ever come up. So basically, Moshe was taken to a madriga in which he was above time and space. He's not God, obviously, but he's taken above time and space. And then once you once time no longer exists, you can see a future. I mean, it's all this thing at the same time. If you look at the Rambam of all people in his famous essay on Parachalic, where he does the 13 principles, the Yigim Malikram, not the Yigdal, which is a dumbed-down version. I mean, the actual essay where he describes in Arabic, and now translated the 13 uh, animamis and he says, you know, Israel, there's a lot more than that. He, I remember he uses the following language. Moshe hit level Malach like an angel, right? Hit the hand of an angel. So what's shot in that? He, he got beyond time and space. You and I are bound in time and space. We got beyond that. So we're talking about different levels of existence. Now, what is going on over here? What is going on over here? You can learn this a lot of different ways. There's a midrashic approach, which is simply very sympathetic. They saw a sapphire brick that reminded them of this fact that there were slaves in Egypt and God had been with them all the time, true. That's what we call a midrashic approach, which is nice. But you, if you want to get more like what shot, if one can even speak in the terms of shotness kind of stuff, what does it mean by Urazel? Hey, Israel. Okay? Now, uh, before I touch the Rambam, you should know there is a Sifri. That says that the brick they saw was the future form of was the brick out of which the Ten Commandments were made. In other words, they had a vision of what Moshe was going to get. He's going to come down in forty days and forty nights with uh two tablets. The tablets will be, according to the Sifri, it's in Baluska. Uh according to this, you know, they, they, they saw this beforehand. Which means, as I understand it, they had a faint intuition. Epis something of the coming uh, seres meaning uh, brought down as as transmitted by God to Moshe in a physical form. They have epis something of that. That's a, again a midrashic and church approach. It makes sense, but in the <coughs> all those <coughs> excuse me, all those who are concerned with literalism and that kind of business uh, have always been uh, bothered by this and. The first and foremost of this school is always the uncleess, Right? Always the Uncleus. So the uncleus says, you, go, you look at it yourself. I don't have the arts for uncleus, but you don't need the arts for uh, where It says, By yours, It says, uh, yos yikar el the They didn't see el they saw his glory, his Yikar. They saw the glory of the God of Israel. So that already is, uh, is a different story. They saw the glory means they didn't see God, they saw something that uh that he created. Uh, okay, whatever that is. And then the tahas raglov, us karseikiri, and um under his throne of glory. They doesn't say his throne of glory. The tachas raglov, it says under his feet. Sunkless says that Raglov doesn't mean his feet, it means his chair. Uh and I said it wrong. Not God's chair, the chair on which sits God's glory. You, you hear what I'm going? This is very philosophical. You can't talk about God at all. There's no even image that will fit, you know? You can't say, well, I'm talking about um, physical, but um, I imagined God sitting on a chair. No such thing. Hm. You don't know what God is if you can imagine him sitting on a chair. You get it? Anybody who has an image... In the mind, of God is a man with a long white beard, which is described in the book of Daniel, that cannot be God. Right. And even if you say, I know it's not the real thing, but it's my way of thinking about it, which is what everybody has to do in davening, the Rambam will immediately come and punch you, and the uncle is going say, no, 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 you have to see that God is beyond um, even imagining such a thing. You could say that God created an image, hear what I'm saying? God created an image of himself as a man with a long white beard, and so I can focus in Dominic if I wish to on the image that God created, but don't say that's God. Now, I hope I haven't lost you, but that's good for the point in this puzzle, according to Uncleus. So they saw the glory of the God of Israel, and under his throne of glory, not his feet, was a Tovet Evan Tovah, uh, something that looked like a precious stone, and to Merci the Hemper Purity. Now, uh, he's very careful, therefore, to. to uh, uh, parts the words, and uh, uh how shall I put it? The Rambam, in the uh does a whole chapter of this business, the beginning of chapter eight, uh, 28 of the first part of Murnavuchim, in which he uh, is a big fan of Uncles, right? And after discussing what Regal can mean, the Rambam says, I'm reading the Ibn Tibban translation, it's not the best, but it's the easiest for you to understand. On the Emir Sapir, the Rambam says, It was the meaning of our Pusig in this week's Pasha, which is so difficult to translate. They saw under God's legs was like a, a, a sapphire brick. That when it says Raglov it means the chair. And it didn't even say the chair that God's sitting on, but rather God's glory is sitting on. And look at the Rambam, it says, I love that shot. I love that shot. You should stand there in admiration how determined Uncleus, when he wrote this, was to avoid the slightest uh, hint of something that could involve a form of God. A form, right? You never talk about God in this passage. What do you mean? It says, No, 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 no. They saw the glory. You never talk about the way Uncle translates. You never talk about God because God himself is not even... Imaginable, they can't even use a simile, right? Stand in admiration how uncleus always endeavours uh, to avoid any kind of physicality. Not physicality. Hakshama means a form. And even a form, uh, which is rochok, you know, in those, you wouldn't even think about it. So let me put it this way. I'll read the Rama. Shu'alamar tchosi You know, Uncles could have said, "The Rama, he's 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 uh, salivating over this." Uncles could have said, instead of taches raglo, taches kisei, right? Tchos korte. But that would sound like there's a chair where God sits on. Shemay miaches lo If he would say it that way, he mischay v'yosan nitzmachal geshen It would sound that like there is some kind of a chair. In some way that God sits on, and you would immediately start thinking of God as whatever it is, even imagine a form that can uh, sit down, you know, that can sit. And God is not beyond, is beyond imagine. Right? So to, to the person who thinks this through, you start by immediately saying like this, for you can say nothing. You see? Instead, he said it was the chair on which God's glory sat down, which is the shina. Hasheri or Nivra, the Sheena is not God, according to the Rambam. This is the Rambam versus the Rambam, but anyway, the Rambam, and anyway, he says the Sheena is out there. The Sheena is something extremely holy, but it's not God. The Sheena was created by God. Okay, and Uncleus also does like that. I'm going pierce, and then the Rambam says like this: I'm gonna go. This is wonderful. I'm gonna go. The Rambam says here, beyond Uncleus. Uncleus was writing for dumbbells, which is a great thing. And for Dumbos, for the average uh, audience in the synagogue, because after all, this was the group that couldn't understand the Hebrew of the Bible. They translating into Aramaic. So Hamunam can understand it. So when you're dealing with that kind of an audience, Pier Shunklus <laughs> um, was always uh, very concerned when he does the prayer Pier to avoid the slightest hint of hakshama, of giving God any kind of a form. For La Lona <laughs> and therefore, in this Pesach, which cries out and says, please explain what's happening over here. Uncles doesn't go there. You know what? Because you guys are too dumb to think of such things. Just go viter. You see? Uncleus doesn't explain to us what it is that they saw, or better yet, perceived. And Uncle didn't, didn't explain to us the meaning of a chair and a brick and all the rest of it. And he always avoids in his commentary getting into this deep stuff. His whole agenda is so that Hamon Am will never hear when they attend services on Saturday morning and they read the Torah as they did long ago with the miturgments. So every time they say a pasuk, the term gets up and translates it. They will never hear anything connected to God which involves hakshama Now, this is amazing. You and I, let's say before art school, <laughs> can I use that expression? You and I know enough Hebrew that we read the Chumash and we read the Chumash in haqshamah terms. uh Yad Hashem, all this kind of stuff. And we are sufficiently, most of us I hope, uh, brainwashed after 2,000 years of Jewish tradition, 3,000 years, to say, even yeah, when it says, Yad Hashem, it's not literal. You know? that Hashem goes up, goes down. We say it's not to be understood literally. Because you and I, given a Hebrew knowledge, have, um, we have an unmediated uh, access to the text. You get it? But we have what we call day school education at least, hopefully more, and you understand when you go all somewhere along the way, these things not to be literal. Although, a lot of things people don't cop. What I mean is, the Rambam would point out, when you see God got angry or God likes something, that already, the idea that God doesn't have any emotions is a little hard to, for people to understand unless you think it through, that somebody explains it to you. So, today, when we don't have Uncle List, meaning when we read the Crease of Torah and Shul, we don't have anybody standing there explaining to us. Uh, instead, we have the unmediated acquaintance with the text, and on the other side of the page, you have English. That's a different experience. You hear? You read the Hebrew, and on the other side, you have the English. And then these kind of issues, such as I am discussing in this podcast today, become, uh, you know, blatant. This was not the case of our ancestors long, long ago. There was a small number of people who understood Hebrew, and the Hamonam could not speak Hebrew. They were all they ever got from the Chumash. Well, what they heard in Shul. Get it? They didn't have books. They didn't say for tourists, The Hamonam. Right? The men, the women, the majority. They would come to Shul. They didn't understand the Hebrew. So a guy would read in the him. They didn't know what it's saying. And then the Matorgaman would translate for them. So that's not like having two pieces of paper. Page 1 and page 2. And on page 1 you see the Hebrew text and page 2 you see the English text. Or something like that. You're hearing it audially, right? A guy says a posik, which they don't really understand what the words mean, and then somebody says it over. So if I'm a member of the Hamunab, I'm just taking it back to ancient history. Um, the goal of Uncleus is if I remember the Hamunab, I'm not gonna know what the Hebrew means. gracious brother king, I don't know what that means. I'll always hear the Targum. Uh, if he does his job right, Uncleus. The Hamonam will never hear words of hakshama connected with God. They'll always hear about the Shechina, about the glory of God, about this, that, and the other, in all kinds of different ways. The, the, the throne of His glory, uh, the Memra, you'll never hear about God. So the Hamonam, at least from your Jewish experience, what you hear in, in, in Shul, the, the Torah, will never hear a wrong theology, an incorrect Hashkocha. Right. I'm sorry, incorrect hashkava. They'll always hear uh logically and philosophically sound ideas from the Because 'Cause they'll always be not a translation, but a mediated uh meaning. They'll be through the lens of uncleus So if I go to show I'm a regular guy, everywhere I hear, you know, uncleus that's all I know. If I hear the story of Avram Yaakov, Mosha and Dabr Shlomo, or Moshe and you see some trim all the rest. I'm gonna know it through the uncleus, through the Targum. Not the book, but the Targum. And there you'll never get anything that's the slightest bit up. On the other hand, so that's the goal of Uncleus, The Ram explains this. Now, of course, he's right. On the other hand, the downside is that for an intelligent member of the Hamunam who may not know Hebrew, but is, let's say, secular educated. So here's an interesting thing. I suppose they had a guy like Philo that I mentioned yesterday in the podcast, or two days ago, or... It's a Jew who lived in the Roman Empire. That's where Uncle lived. And he had, I don't know, some kind of secular education. And let's say he understood basic philosophical issues. Uh, you know, like that. But he didn't have a good Jewish education. Because if he had a good Jewish education, he wouldn't need a Targum. There were a lot of people like that. At that time. You take like the, the intelligent Orthodox follow of my youth, you know, of long ago. So he's a guy to be hurts Herzogomish, you know. So, um... You don't explain what... That kind of person is going to ask the question, what is going on in Harsinai? You know, or, or better yet, What's going on over there? So, says uncle doesn't uh, uh, um, engage with that because he did not write a targum aimed for the intelligentsia. I mean, the non-Hebrew-speaking, secularly educated, philosophically instructed, but nevertheless Hebrew- um, uneducated uh, audience, there are two, <laughs> isn't that interesting? What we have there is a Hamon Am document, which has become sacralized in Jewish history today. We all reach Shnai Mekrecha Tagum, right? But pff, there never was written something pff, for the intelligentsia, which of course the Rambam is undertaking to do. Isn't that funny? When he writes in the 1100s, the guy for the perplexed, he's basically saying, I'm picking up where Uncle has left off now. Obviously, my book is not for everybody. It's for that element that I just described, which is the person with the secular education, not well-grounded in the Torah education, um, and if he is grounded in the Torah education only in a philosophically superficial way, blah, blah, blah. Now, our Pusik is a perfect example of this. That's the reason I'm taking the time to share this with you. Again, this is in chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, part 1, chapter twenty-eight of the book. So look what he says you know what Shmuelus is. Tachlus dvar He's just concerned that the Oylam shouldn't hear any anything about forms with God. beer, to and he doesn't say what actually happened with Na'ava and Aviva and Aaron and all the Har Sinai. And he never gets involved in this because he's talking to Hamanah. His goal was to make sure. Uh, that the Oilam doesn't get a material or form kind of version of God, uh, because that would be wrong. Because that goal, the negative goal, making sure that people don't have any gashmistic form of God, in, in form or, or physical, is a lofty goal in Judaism. Right? Those people who didn't handle that became Christians and stuff like that. And so he always follows that policy. Our beer in Hamashal But to get involved with what this Pussik means, right? Uh is difficult. Uh It could mean this pop shot or that one. Like I said before, maybe the Chazal say it's a brick like the Ten Commandments, or it's a brick I'm just or another Chazal says it's a brick uh, that showed the guy was with them when they were building bricks and slaves in Egypt. And these are very Nistar. And a Jew does not have to know what they mean to be a good Jew. An intelligent Jew will want to know, and it's a high madriga to know, but it doesn't make you a non from Jew. What makes you a non from Jew, the Ramah says, is if you do ha As you know, in the Animam is, they say, demusaguf. So if anybody has ideas, the demusaguf, in whatever fashion, you're doing a terrible sin. If you say, I know Enel Demus goof, but I don't know what he is. That's okay. That's fine. You're admitting the truth. That's fine. Plenty of people did not understand what Hashem is. It's beyond our saga. No matter what you think, they're going to be beyond your saga. ultimately. Correct? As you understand God, now has created literally everything, you're not going to be able to understand exactly what it means. So it's not, as he says over here, Ain mi yisodas havanasam. It's not necessary to understand these muscles to have yisodas The hamunah is the negative one, and to explain this to a mass audience, very difficult. Therefore, uncleus doesn't patch you with this. You get it? He was a smart guy, this Uncleus. and he said, I'm going to confine myself the way Rashi did, you know, set a limited agenda. My agenda is to purge the Hamonam from any kind of Gashmius in connection with God, any kind of Hag uh, and I do this in the way that I just tried to describe to you before. By making it that Hamonim that gets its knowledge, the from the public Torah readings, will never hear, since they'll always hear my Targum instead of the, the Hebrew, they don't understand, they'll never hear anything that could possibly connect uh, God with anything Gashmi is. But me, Moses Maimonides, I'm writing a book here in Buchan that I am trying to explain this stuff to not the Hamunam but the intelligentsia but the intelligentsia were perplexed. The in the of I can't let this pusik in Parshamish Mishpatim, pass by without saying a word. Now you can like it and I like it. But the Ram goes on to say Tachas here's the key point. So the Ram will try to explain his shot and what they saw. And his shot will be that uh, they saw the Mahusa, the Chumra Harisham. So basically, all in the Rambam's understanding, the old philosophical way from a thousand years ago, all stuff comes from a certain original energy or something like that. And uh, we can't see that. We only see the final form. I see the physical world. But what is the physical world created out of? Right? Hear what I'm saying? When God created the world, He obviously used stuff to create the physical world. Now, when He created the metaphysical world, He also used stuff to create the metaphysical world. If you ask me, what was the materials He used for the creation of the metaphysical world, the answer is the Torah. That's the firm answer. Get it? The Torah, means that's how He created the metaphysical, the Shemayim. But what did He create the physical from? So you say this, well, I look around. Stars, planets, gravity. yeah, But did he simply do, like, bewitched? Poof, poof, poof. And now let there be stars and all the rest of it? No. First he created a certain material, and out of that material came all the other stuff. So, me, listen, I'm not a philosopher. I only understand at a dumbbell level. Uh, At a dumbbell level, he created what we would call existence. And then from existence came all the other stuff. Because God does not exist, he created existence. See what I'm saying? He created existence he created everything. Now, that's hard to understand. That God created existence. I mean, God existed. No, you can't use that word. But God was there. Yeah, he was there, but he can't use the word existence. See how hard it is to be master of the whole thing? This is what they saw, according to the Rambo. Right? This is what they saw. Now, um, uh, there's more to this chapter, but I went on for uh, a long time now. And I want to uh, wear this out. If you're interested in this in an intelligent way, now, and to me, it's like the best possible, sink your teeth into, um, then I, I will uh, guide you <laughs> to the Murnah the first chapter, uh, chapter 28, and go be mine in it. And if you want to, you can look the, with, with the Mepharsham. I'm sure you're not going to do that. You know, the Abarmanel and crescus and all that. Um, I'm not giving a seminar here, but uh, see how he, in detail, tries to parse out what does he mean, toar and all the rest of it, but it's clear to me, although he doesn't use these words, that when he sees Shemayim Latar, the Shemaim is the metaphysical. You see? What does it mean, they saw the physical and metaphysical? They saw the world pulled apart at its its, uh, um, uh, ingredients. So, they didn't see Hashem. Even Moshe didn't see Hashem. But Moshe saw a lot more of what's possible for a person to see uh, than they did. They saw amazing stuff. Everybody else was imprisoned in their senses. They look around, they say, this was here today, this was here yesterday, this was always here. These guys saw what we would call today, kad, um, the Bria, non non-kad, non Olam. non codmus Olam. The world was always, wasn't always always there. So if it wasn't always there, what was there before this world existed? That's the kind of stuff they got into, and which means that they had a very profound uh, metaphysical education. I'm not saying I did justice to the subject, but I definitely feel comfortable that I scratched the surface. And uh, as I said before, this week, I, I don't think this is going to be the Bar Mitzvah boys, uh, Parish at a Jordan, uh, uh, you know, sponsoring in honor of, but this is the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. And uh, as I said before, I think it's fun to scratch this surface. With that, I bid you a good Shabbos. Have a good week.